0: you're listening to msb today our host roger nichols interviews jeffrey deaver and john lesquois about their newest book nothing good happens after midnight you'll hear some stories you'll hear some songs
1: and you'll learn a little bit about history too thanks for tuning in
0: is a special double your pleasure episode since we have a pair of authors to talk with Jeffrey Deaver and John Lesquois why are they appearing together well a tie that binds is a first class anthology of crime and mystery stories titled ominously enough nothing good happens after Midnight." no that didn't work very well <laughs> okay I'll try, let me
1: try mine here we go oh, How's there that, you everybody? go
0: excellent thank you appreciate that Uh, Jeffrey Deaver, both editor and contributor, and John Lesquois as one of the contributors to the project. Were we to do a proper introduction of both of them, we'd use up all of our time just listing their accomplishments and awards. But we'd be remiss if we didn't mention a couple of things. Both are worldwide best-selling authors with dozens of books selling in scores of countries translated into many languages. Both have multiple series featuring popular characters. Uh, Most notably, Lesquen's Dismas Hardy and Deeper's Lincoln Rhyme and Amanda Sachs. Critics love them, and they have shelves of awards. More interestingly, they both have worked in law offices, and both have written songs and performed as singers. We'll come back to that before we get done. But let's talk about nothing good happens after midnight. Now, the subtitle is a suspense magazine anthology which implies the stories originally appeared in the magazine. But I note several authors using the Nothing Good Happens After Midnight as a line in their stories. So I'm curious, Mr. Editor, were all of them uh, written uh, in the magazine originally or were some written just for this anthology?
1: Oh, no, no. I believe they were all, um, and John, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe they were all uh, written originals for this um, this anthology. But but when they say suspense magazine, because John and Shannon Rob put the whole thing together and they published it as an anthology. Now I, I could be wrong about that, but I know I penned mine uh, without ever having appeared in the magazine. John, how about you? Was yours an original?
2: Same thing. I was walking down the halls at the uh, you know the International Thriller Fest a couple of years ago, and and DP Lyle, Doug, you know, uh, pulled me aside and he said, "You've got to be one of the contributors of this." To this project. So I said, "What's the project?" I didn't want to do it at all. And then he said, "What it was." And I said, "Oh, yeah, I can do that with my eyes closed because I have two two children who have been through the teenage years, and it spoke to me with uh,
1: great feeling." Yeah, and I hope John, you can try. If we get to the individual stories, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that because it was, in a way, very suspenseful. You had some humor in it too, but it really dealt with a rather serious topic, and you know. Really sure. surprise surprises at the end we don't want to give anything away so i'll let you know probably better for you to talk about that but it, but i was moved uh as well as sitting on the edge of my seat to see that was where that room was going to go cool great that's my goal get deeper on the edge of his seat that's my whole goal just <laughs> well actually well, is the second if, time we've done this if roger doesn't mind if we riff a little bit here go um, please we did Uh, Actually, I had edited another anthology with original stories that John was in, and I still get a chill from your story. Um, If I recall correctly, this is years ago. The anthology was called Ice Cold, Cold. and it was uh, for uh, a Mystery Writers of America anthology. And it um, had to do with the Cold War, primarily Russian things. I mean, Russian, Soviet sorts of things. And yours was kind of an Armageddon type of story, wasn't it? I just, uh, yeah, I still consider it my, it was
2: called The Last Confession. Yes. And in that uh, anthology, and I consider that the best writing I've ever done in my life. That particular short story, I just, it sang from the minute it started, and it was based on real events from my own life, you know, being a Catholic school kid during the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, all the stuff that made it very relevant. And then bringing it up to the narrator who happened to be, um, he was, let's just say, a federal judge in today's world. And he was the narrator. Right. So it really tied it together beautifully.
1: And I, I was very thrilled that you were also the editor of that because it was great. We got some good notices on that, too, I recall. My story was called Comrade 35. I love that story. Oh, thank you. And uh, the twist. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just, I'm surprised that was not a movie just from the short story. I mean, it was a long bitch. It was a long short story, and it was kind of a reversal. The Comrade 35 referred to um, John Kennedy, the 35th yeah. president. And it uh, was a, I won't go into some of the other big twists in that, but it had to do, set in Dallas. twists. November yeah. 22nd, uh, uh, a long time ago. But anyway, we had a, that was very fun working with John and the other authors. And um, uh, Justin Scott was the my co editor on that one. Right. And, uh, but um, uh, anyway, getting back to uh, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, I think John called me uh, some time ago or sent me an email and said, would I be willing to edit it? And uh, he and Shannon did did the heavy lifting on it. I mean, I read the story. I read all the stories. It was a great delight. You know, imagine getting to read these fine writers and then offered some suggestions, but it was it was in very good shape. Uh, and So basically we uh, went to press. But, you know, there are editors who have there are people who've edited for a long time. Suspense magazine is so slick and so well put together. I mean, right. slick in a good sense. And so they knew what they were doing. And, and I mean, look at this this hardcover production. You know, sometimes you don't even see hardcover books anymore.
0: It's just uh, just gorgeous. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it it <laughs> yeah, is a, all over the place. <laughs> it is a delight, absolutely. Um, wow, you guys are having so much fun together. I, I'm just going to go have a cup of coffee and let you go. No. Uh, one of the things, and I just jotted down that anthology, because now that's the next thing I have to read. Thank you very much. I've got to stack that high and stuff. But no, I appreciate that a great deal. You know, um, what
2: we should do is just take the two stories that Jeff and I have in both of those anthologies and have that come out as its own anthology. Nothing good happens after midnight
1: during the, th- during the Cold War. <laughs> uh, that's, well, actually, uh, yeah, my, some of my scenes took place at night, as I recall. But uh, sure, that's uh, going back go. a ways.
0: I, I yeah. see marketing coming up, up right now. Um, geez, so many good. I, I want to get to, to John, John, if I may, call it your story uh, about it because it has multiple perspectives. And yeah. you get into the mind of teenagers, which, and we're baby boomers. As how how difficult is that as opposed to writing about adults?
2: Well, I actually said those words as a kind of a mantra to my children all during their high school years, because, you know, there was a constant battle. Do I have to come home by this time? And I kept saying, you have to come home because nothing good happens after midnight. I mean, I must have said that a hundred times. And my kids would go, here we go. It's the nothing happens after midnight, you know, speech. But really, it was part of my, you know, my entire life with my kids was keeping that curfew solid because... You didn't want them going out to the levee, particularly, because we have a levee right near our house. I drove my Chevy to the levee and all of that good stuff. <laughs> but, but really, nothing good happens out there
0: after midnight. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. But as teenagers, I have vague memories of it. Everything is very emotional, and everything is very important. Uh, it's it's like being eminently distractible. And getting that angst in there, I I thought it was an exceptionally well-written piece.
2: Thank you. I mean, I really, you know, the whole idea of of being aware of your children when you're going through that period of time is really something. I mean, who's a cool kid? Who's one of the smart kids? You know, what, what clique do you fit into? And it is life and death for these kids. I mean, you know, the agony they go through to find where they fit into the whole experience of
1: being teenagers it's why i noticed on uh, facebook i don't uh, i myself don't post i post professionally i have a professional account i don't I have a personal account too but i don't uh, i don't post things certainly i don't get into politics or anything controversial um but i have noticed uh for some reason the algorithm has said oh jeff i must have clicked on one of these prank videos at some time at some point and uh you know, like somebody rigs a park bench to fall over or something like that. Uh, it's, you know, Pratt Falls. It was moderately amusing. But now the Facebook algorithm, Mark Zuckerberg himself, I'm sure, does all this stuff, uh, mm-hmm. said, oh, uh, Jeff looked at, at a prank video. And so now this uh, I get prank videos. And some of them are, I mean, nobody's really hurt, but uh, they, I guess, uh, there's the show Jackass. I think you've seen that or you know about that. It's terrible, uh, just awful. But the, um, you know, pranks pranks along those lines. But John, pranks figure in your story.
2: That's a clue for me to say something, but I'm not sure I want to give it away. No, don't give any press away. Don't it's, uh, you know, it really is the whole thing about children trying to fit, who are not yet adults, are trying to fit in and do things that are truly, I mean, I remember the first morning I went out where our own front magnolia tree had been toilet paper. And you hear about that and you look at it as you drive by other people's houses and you go, what a goofy thing. And then when it happens to you, you go, God, I, I feel remarkably violated by this for some reason. It loses the whole tone of a prank and all of that stuff. It's very much a serious trespassing endeavor. And I found it very difficult to deal with what happened to me. And I went, this isn't right. This is like, you know, half a truckload full of toilet paper on my, you know, on my front lawn. And I don't really think that that's why my son wants to get up and be thrilled by that in the morning.
1: Well, it is, it is, a, it is a crime. I mean, we know from our legal days that uh, it doesn't take a lot to commit a crime. You know, the phrase assault and battery. Sure. Assault is not actually touching somebody. Assault is making them afraid. So right. If I were to go like this to somebody, I've just committed assault battery is the actual touching and sure. touching can be throwing a marshmallow at somebody so if right. you blow up this with a marshmallow and hit them with a marshmallow uh that's a that's a crime <laughs> a waste, of a good a waste of a good marshmallow
2: too you know what there's a new there's a new anthology the marshmallow capers <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're, we're cooking john we've got some good ideas coming up we here. do we're good i'll tell you yeah, you can't roast a marshmallow after midnight. No, I think
0: maybe I'll leave that to the <laughs> You can't
1: roast a marshmallow during the Cold War after midnight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that reminds me some time years ago, somebody talked about a couple of authors were getting together trying to figure out what this particular editor liked. And they knew and liked stories about Lincoln and about doctors and about dogs. So they actually wrote a story about Lincoln's doctor's dog and submitted it. He didn't publish it, though. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Let's talk about, about your story. Um, and from the title, now, I mentioned that both of you worked in law offices. You were, maybe still are. Are you practicing a lawyer anymore? Or, or? No. Okay. no, no I, that's,
1: I'm a recovering attorney. <laughs> I'm not an attorney at all. I've never
2: been to to law school, never wanted to be an attorney. How I started writing legal thrillers, I have no idea. No, but I just, understand you did
0: work in a law office for a while at
2: doing. I worked seven years as a word processor. Look at these fingers; they are good typists. Yep. Yeah. Back in the day, when, had, back in the day when, when law offices had word processing departments, I was with a firm called Pettit and Martin in Los Angeles, and uh, that's the firm actually that got shot up in San Francisco with literally shot up about you know two months after I left. Yes. Oh my God, I remember that, John. Yes, yes. that was my firm. So my job though, was just typing up, you know, papers
1: and getting them filed in time. Well, as as an aside, um, and I guess Roger doesn't mind if we digress a little bit. I was a journalist for some years, and I learned to touch type, um, which has been a lifesaver for me because sure. I, uh, when I write, my technique is I do an outline. Maybe we should chat about technique if you like. I'm an extensive outliner. Uh, for a novel, I'll I'll spend uh, eight months or outlining and organizing. So the outlines are like a hundred pages long. Now that's really writing the book too. And there are many wonderful authors who don't do that and they can produce brilliant books. I just need that organization. But I I look at my outline, it's like here, uh, Colter Shaw uh, discovers a clue in a cabin. That's all my outline says, I have to figure that out. So I close my eyes literally, and then just picture the scene as if I were watching a movie. And I, uh, if I'm lucky, I'll come up with what that clue is. I may not mm-hmm. have to move on to a different scene. But the touch typing has been a lifesaver for me. And John, John how do you, uh, have we ever talked? Maybe no, we have. I don't, th- I don't think we have. But, you know, I don't do that at all. I'm a complete, as they call us, a pantser.
2: Yeah. You know, it's a seat You're of the pants. pants. I, you know, I just sit down and I start typing on the blank page. And hopefully things come together. Sometimes they don't. But most of the time they have. And so I've just learned to trust that. And uh, it's weird. It's it's living a little bit on the edge, but um, I think that might add to some of the suspense of the book. Whether or not it's ever going to get written.
1: Well, and you know, um, <laughs> Lee Child, Lee Child doesn't outline the most famous pantser of all, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen King doesn't. Uh, George R. R. Martin doesn't. Uh, and if those guys keep at it, someday they'll be successful. I think so. <laughs> But anyway, I'm sorry, Roger, you were asking me a question. I believe <laughs> oh, I was
0: going to the title of, of your, uh, your contribution here would lead us to expect a courtroom thriller. And there's certainly that. But that's not the real focus of it. And it's a very different. Actually, one of the things I should mention is that there are several stories in there that have a tinge of the supernatural about them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, well, and that's I'll, nice.
1: I'll tell you how this came about. I have um, I, I've written. So my first novel actually was a horror book, Stephen King kind of horror book. Um, And I've always had an interest in the occult. I I don't mean me personally. I don't believe in ghosts and goblins and tarot cards. I don't, that's, I'm I'm too much of a rationalist for that. But um, I do like the way they scare the hell out of readers if you handle it right. Sometimes it's incredible. You know, you get to the, uh, or unbelievable, you get to the final climactic scene and it just turns out that they find the, the tome, the Gothic tome, the big book of incantations and just as the goblins are about to get them, they flip through and they suddenly realize that this token they had found you put on page six 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 or something and then all goes away. Like, well that doesn't really scare scare people. Um, but what I wanted to do was come up with an idea that I first of all was not midnight as in the time and I should mention that my uh, story, has to do with a what I call the a piece of music called the Midnight Sonata.
2: It was that, just. I, can I just cut in here? Sure. Please. so unexpected and so brilliant, really. It's one of my favorite of your short stories. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you. So I mean good. it. It was just. I was reading that, going, "How is this
1: fitting in exactly?" And then, I mean, it just the end is just mind-boggling. So. Well, thank you. And I, I, I have. Uh, it's, it's got some big twists in it, but I. Uh, all I'll say is that the midnight I'm referring to after midnight is not the time. But something that happens after the Midnight Sonata is played. Because I, sometimes I just like to do things differently and, uh, you know, be a little contrary. And so, um, uh, but I also like to work in in the occult uh, frame, work in law, uh, work in legal things, work in real grounding. Because, you know, if you're killed by a, z- a zombie, it's still a crime, uh, you know. <laughs> you know or or a witch puts a spell on you that that's a crime that's assault and battery now that I think about it. That's right and so um, I wanted to um work in a um uh the uh the defense of somebody who had committed a uh, a crime in the uh in the story but throw that occult side to it and I'm sure our viewers are completely perplexed and maybe in an insidious way I've forced them to buy the anthology no, they've got to go buy
0: it that's it. is talking about so uh, <laughs> It, what's, what's interesting is I was as I was reading that I, I had an echo. Of, Tess Garretson did a book called "Playing with Fire," which finds an old piece of violin music in a shop in Italy that isn't there when she goes back, and things happen when the music is played. And I thought that was an interesting kind of echo of that.
1: Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, this uh, the idea just occurred to me. I mean, I, I was. Uh, I don't think John, you, and I have ever played. Um, music together. I think I did that thing at uh, ITW where I did the pastiche of Dylan songs. Yes. I got got up and sang, uh, let's see, what was it? Um, um, uh, Verizon, let's see. Come gather around people wherever you roam who can't get reception upon your cell phones, whose signals are dropping like so many stones. Verizon, I will be changing. (laughs) Uh, uh, But I, I did that kind of stuff. But John, you and the band did some real music you did serious we had a fun time those first couple of
2: ITWs where we were the killer thriller band you know and we had some really pretty
1: professional people up there on the stage so it was great being part, part of that group and, and speaking of Tess Garretson, what, what was the uh, the band she and Stephen King and Ridley oh yeah sure the, the rock bottom remainders yeah yeah Is Kathy, that what Kathy Goldmark's band what's that it was Kathy Goldmark's band, as she put oh. it all together. You know, oh. I, and, I mean, I wonder nowadays in these days of COVID, uh, I guess not many performances, but they're they're all still around, still writing. I think. Well, I just got I just
2: released a new CD like you know last week, which I'm calling um, Covers and Demos, and that's all the songs that other people of my, other people other than me have sung of my songs. Oh, interesting! Is, it is cool. So you know, there's very little. Very little me on my, my CD, except for the fact that I wrote all the music.
0: Yeah. But, and we should, we should tell our listeners that you performed for a number of years. singer-songwriter. I, I've forgotten the name now. I apologize. Capo was the last?
2: You forgot Johnny Capo and his real good band? Yeah. How could you forget? How um, can one forget this? It's, it's almost it's like an a age-related
0: movie. thing. Yeah. <laughs> In my case. No, but... Here, let me get my guitar. Please. Oh, good. We're gonna get some music now. It's, All right. Now some real entertainment here. Yeah. No, we'll
1: just leave okay. this for a second here. No, 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 no. This is great.
0: Yeah. Run away, run
2: away, run away, heart. Oh, run away, run away, run away, heart. You're riding the wind on your search for romance. Changing your party with every
1: little dance and Nothing's gonna keep us apart. Run away, hard. All right. Yeah. Bravo. About, on my God, Look, you got a fan here listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered about your animal fetish, Jeff. Yeah, I know. Well, what's going to be part of this today? That could be that could be a website you might not want to be caught browsing on. Oh, no, no,
0: no. I, let me ask a little bit of process questions because I'm I'm kind of curious. By the way, thank you for the for the concert. This we just kicked it up a notch here. For uh, <laughs> how did the whole process happen? You mentioned that uh, you started it. You signed on. Who does what in a situation like that?
1: Uh, you mean the um, uh, Nothing did, Good Happens After Midnight? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. oh, cool. I, I have to say, I mean, I, John and Shannon really did the heavy lifting. I mean, they did the bulk of the editing. Uh, they asked me to write an introduction to each story. And uh, that was a delight for me I, because I got to read them. And we had such a, a wide variety of stories. We had The Occult, as you mentioned, Police Procedural. We had... Um, the um, uh, fairy tale of this a retelling of the Cinderella story, which was quite interesting. And, um, oh, Hank Phillippe Ryan did a uh, very Hitchcockian uh, overnight train ride. Which I, I just thought was fantastic. And, you know, what I like about anthologies like this is that um, I obviously uh, I have I kind of lean toward the the thriller and the police procedural. But I like a, I like a good cozy now and then. And I like a good Stephen King's kind of story now and then. And this gives me a chance, is if I were a reader, to look through this and say, "Oh, I'm going to go go check out this Lesquoy story. I'm going to look at his books now." Or Hank Philippe Ryan, that was uh, that was great. I'm going to see what she's doing lately. So, um, and then uh, I have to say, it, you know, I, they, they were very kind to hand it to me, and they said, "Oh, if you could contribute a story too, that would be great." And of course, I love short fiction. I've written. This year alone, I've written, I think, six. And uh, I I publish with uh, Amazon Original Stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's not, under, it's Thomas and Mercer Publishing, but it's not, um, uh, they're not print yet. They will be at some point. And for, as a prelude to each of my novels, I write the Colter Shaw novels and the Lincoln Rhyme novels. As a prelude, about a month before uh, the novel is published, I'll do a short story. Uh, those are with Putnam. And they'll do it on, I'm not sure what platform it goes on. I mean, you get it on Kindle, I'm sure, somehow. And then I just did three other um, audio short stories, audio only, for audible.com. But uh, all I'm saying is if I could make a living, and I think John is heard me say this ad nauseum, if I could make a living writing short stories, I would do it in a minute. Because I'm just, I'm, I'm so lucky. Novels are very hard for me. I, I, they just are.
0: I think and, they're hard uh, for
1: everybody. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, if I, if I could just, uh, uh, you know, be able to pay the rent doing short stories, which come very easily for me, I'd do that in an instant. So, uh, but that's The short story
0: market is pretty thin these days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, they they have the anthologies. I've done uh, three collections of my own and I have two more collections ready to go, but those are um, prior published stories. But, you know, some of them, um, have been published like original in, in, in Italian newspaper or a, 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 a British <laughs> publisher or something like that. So are they original stories? Well, not exactly, but for the English speaking market, they are. And so um, I'd like to get get those going. But again, you know, it's uh, I do. A, I'll publish those just for the legacy, my legacy of getting a, the, them out there, so that in a novel, at least, I'm sorry, in a hardcover form, they will be seen. And people can put them up on the shelves, all eight people who buy them, of course, but still
0: <laughs> well see well you're again you're, you're you're driving me to more purchases out there because there's stuff I wasn't aware of, so I'll be checking all of those out yeah <laughs> absolutely Should we
2: give a should we give a little shout out to the uh
0: the bookstores handling this kind of um zoom for us absolutely, absolutely give them a pitch is it, it v j up in v j yep in v- 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 v-
2: I thought yeah. Keep selling those signed books. I know I sign a bunch of them every time a new one
1: comes out. You guys, you guys are the best. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. That yeah. Yeah. was it was great. I mean, but, but when I think about that, uh, John, you probably think the same thing. Uh, on tour in, in Portland, staying at that hotel. I can't remember the name, but the the the, the doorman was like a dressed like a beef eater. A um,
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't
1: remember the name. That was the mystery writers of America thing, the Boucher Con, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but I would go up to uh, BJ's and sign physically sign uh, the books there. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but but that see what I'm thinking about now is that's all gone. These are the these are we're doing a book tour event right now. And uh, right. I, last year, 2019, I flew 180,000 miles. Wow, on book tours, you know, international for the long haul kind of stuff. Last year, I think I flew four thousand, five thousand, wow. and I, I, you know, I hope. It, well, it will change. We'll go back, uh, but because um, I, I like comparing and I know John, you and Raji. I don't know if you've seen John appear, but he's a stand-up comic. I mean, he, <laughs> George, and I did something in Carmel, right? I think it was moderated. Yes, Is that great. Oh, it was incredible. But he got up, not a single note. When I do my presentations, I am totally scripted. I'm the outline guy. He's a pantser, not a single note, and just this hilarious um you know Johnny Carson quality monologue it was so good <laughs> but, but I miss that don't don't you miss that I do miss that,
2: but you know that's that's as you say, just totally dried up you know I don't think I've done a talk in public, certainly in a year and uh it's odd it's really odd
1: because it used to be a big part of my life well it's odd, and i um my presentations are funny, I mean I hope they're informative, funny like yours yeah um, and uh you know you'll do. You have an audience, of course, and you you drop the funny line, and then of course you pause. There's always a beat after the punchline, but so right. again, it always happens. It could be sometimes it's kind of a long time, and you think, uh oh, is this falling flat? But but on the when you're doing Zoom, you have no feedback, so you just right. kind of hope. And you know, you, are you looking at yourself? Because I hate I don't like to look at myself, but you know, do I look at the camera? Do I look down? It's just um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I, uh, I, I miss it I, I, I really want to get back into it but I think it's going to be a, a later, quite late in the year before we get back to normal Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm sad to say that I think you're right but I do have a book coming out late in the year so there'll be something to wait for and see if it can happen
0: Let me, let me ask you this with more people at home with more time, are you selling more or less? Because they can't get to stores but they can download if they want to do Ebooks?
2: You know, I don't think anybody knows really how much we're selling. Um, I mean, I'm sure Amazon can give you figures or bookstores can give you figures, but I I sense that there's a big, you know, the way it really works in the book business is you got the first couple of weeks and then things just tend to dry up a lot. And so if you don't have the tour going when the book comes out and all of those things that have to be, you know, very carefully orchestrated, then it just doesn't work. So it's hard to say what's going to happen in the future
1: because they've got to recalibrate how it all plays out. And I think um, uh, I, I would probably say my sales are down. Some I think um, because John and I sell across a broad demographic market, and um, you know there are frankly people who are uh, have been out of work, and uh, I, I, I know I oddly enough sell a lot of books to. Um, uh, to the uh, people in the airlines, uh, only because I've they've come up to me and they said they know who I am, and and that, of course that that's has been decimated. That industry has been decimated. And sure. I think people for books, you know, uh, well let's be honest, um, you you're interested in entertainment, and I think a book is the, a novel or a short story is the most uh, enduring and emotionally engaging form of creative effort because we participate with we are the reader participate with the author Mm -hmm. Um, but that's again 10 15 20 30 dollars you've got to spend and some people are thinking well am i going to have my job next week am i going to buy food for my kids whereas you pay 20 dollars a month you've got netflix you've got that entertainment there And Netflix, I tell you, I I put on Netflix. I watch a lot of stuff on on Netflix.
2: You know, I think my wife and I maybe watched four or five series in our lives up until last year. I mean, TV series. Because we just didn't do it a lot. We did other things. And now, with this pandemic, I have to tell you, we have seen everything that's ever been filmed.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You know, and sometimes we've seen it twice. It's just. And now you're down to that series that Buster Keaton did in the 1930s. That was pretty damn good, I'll tell you.
0: (laughs) Wow. So, you you guys are in an awfully good humor for. As long as we've been in this, I appreciate that but well, you know I just, you
2: better you' better keep your spirits up because you know everything else is conspiring to bring your spirits down, so i mean we we do almost do my wife and I do a little mantra every morning, like you know fist pump, and we're we're into
1: it we're holding out in a new pandemic, so you know that's what we're doing No, i mean I look at it as um um as i believe uh, president biden said uh this is war and, yeah. you know i uh, was born in 1950 so that was in the and my father was a, a flyer in the second world war so i um like a lot of kids um at that age when i was in my you know 10, 11, 12, well, a little earlier than that too. I'm fascinated with World War II. It was just, I had all the little plastic, green plastic soldiers, and I had the uniforms, and I had the guns that actually looked like real guns. And uh, now we have, of course, the problem with so much gun violence that I probably would have been shot if I walked downtown with my my sure. gun nowadays. But um Hey, what um, did your father do in World War II, Jeff? Was he a, was he a bombardier navigator or a pilot? No, or he was what? a turret gunner. Uh-huh. And, on an, on an aircraft called an A-20. It was an, uh, a two- or three-man uh, attack aircraft. And he, um, uh, I'll tell, tell the story, he um, uh, wanted to be a pilot, but he didn't have depth perception. And there's a test, apparently, so he couldn't see the runway. I mean, he could see the runway, but he didn't know how far it was from the runway. But he, um, they flew um, uh, um, uh, uh, missions over uh, uh, after D-Day over um, occupied France as the Germans were, were pulling back. And they would shoot mars- shoot up marshaling yards, drop bombs on marshaling yards. Yeah. And the, the Luftwaffe was gone by then. This is late in the war. But they had the 88s, the flat guns, and a flat gun got him. And the pilot um, who passed away in this incident, the other gunner and my father bailed out at like 300 feet, which is pretty low, and he he broke his ankles but it was over free France at that point. So. Well, you know what I got
2: to tell you, it's so interesting. I didn't know this about you or you about me. My father was a bombardier navigator in a POW in Japan. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, oh, he, he was at that, the the, the heinous, um, you know, POW camp where they had, what was the, um, what's the Zipparelli book where they talk
1: about, he's yeah. there and it's just horrifying. That started with uh, Angelina Jolie made the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was just. I watched that. It was just horrific.
2: I know. Well, so the thing is, that, that was exactly what my dad did. I'm just amazing to
1: hear your dad had a similar experience. What Different theater of war. Well, and he he. They were like ten kilometers outside of occupied France when the plane uh, plane wow. went to, uh, And and so when was that uh, liberated, John? Um, about it? ten days after um, the atom bomb on Hiroshima.
2: Oh.
1: Oh. So that was, it was just just horrific. Have yeah. you thought about writing? I, I actually wrote a book called Garden of Beasts set in yeah. Berlin in 1936 because I wanted to write a. Uh, it was kind of a prequel, well, a prelude to the Second World War, but it led right. up to it. And I, right. it's my favorite book, and I'm the book I'm most proud of. And have you written um, about your father's experience in a way? No, you know, I have,
2: I've never done that. I mean, there, people have told me to do it. I mean, the love story between he and my mother is just mind-boggling to me because my mother was in the Red Cross in Switzerland while my father was bombing Japan. Okay, that's a story. That's a story. That's a story right there. And I mean, she, he, wrote, he wrote her a five-page I love you letter, you know, and, and I want to see you and da-da-da-da-da. And all she got was a um, telegram that said, return to states, object matrimony. <laughs> and she did it she got up she flew out to the united states four days later they got
1: married they were married for 60 years oh my god what a great story well that's a good story in itself yeah did he ever go back to japan john boy he, he went
2: back a couple of times and he was um, amazingly pro japanese he just he loved the
1: culture he loved everything about it so really? I think that speaks to his better angels you know i was uh i just did an event at a um a a virtual event in germany and um i uh i I go to germany with some frequency i like germany i'm I'm, half my family is is german um -hmm. they came over it was not not that recently but they they came over in the 30s well some in a little earlier than that but anyway so when i go there and i'm doing the presentation and i'm looking out and i think you know was one of the, it would be the grandfather or father of the person I'm looking at. Sure. Is he the one who pulled the cord on the 88? It almost got my right. You can't mm-hmm. help but think that. And of course. I, of course. You know, they're such such wonderful uh, wonderful people and very uh, devoted readers.
0: Right. Great. Right. So let's talk about uh, upcoming projects. What are you guys working on that's going to be out soon?
1: Um, Jeff, you want to take it? Okay, sure. In. Um, um, April, I'll have a trilogy of horror uh, stories on um, audible.com. And the good news is they're free. Uh, They um, uh, it's, I guess it's, I don't, I'm not quite sure how it works, but uh, they, it's a promotion of some kind. uh, And I mean, I got, I got paid for it, but you know, I think that launches you then into something in audible, but anyway, they, they should be kind of fun and scary. Then in, um, um, also in April, I have a short story called uh, Forgotten uh, that features um, my character Coulter Shaw. And that's the prelude to my Coulter Shaw book in May, The Final Twist. And Coulter Shaw is the itinerant re- reward seeker uh, who travels around the country looking for rewards. And um, then in um, uh, September, a Lincoln Rhyme short story as yet unnamed, a prelude to my Lincoln Rhyme book. Um, that will be out in um, November called The Midnight Lock. So that's it. As you can see, all I have all this free time the last year, and th- now Dan and I want to get out and start living life again. So next year, 2022, you're not going to see anything from me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a tour. Little... Yeah, I, I picked the wrong year to take a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. You know, like,
2: I decided last year to take a sabbatical because i have written, I think, 26 books in 26 years. Wow. Uh, I said, I'm going to give it a rest. So I gave it a rest, and I finally just couldn't stand living with myself all the while. So I sat down and I wrote another Dismas Hardy Abe Glitzky novel. Oh, excellent. But that doesn't come out until next November. It's called The Missing Piece, and uh, we're just doing things like copy editing right now. So that's what I'm doing—kind
0: of day-to-day work as a novelist. All right, all right. Music? You, you working on some new. You said you got a new CD coming out, but you have any original that you're working on?
2: Um, new stuff. I just wrote a uh, just wrote a song for my son's wedding. He's getting married in October.
1: Oh, congratulations!
2: All I right. just did that in the last couple of weeks, and I'm really thrilled with it. So I can't wait to sing it for these guys.
0: All right, and that's pretty much what I'm doing. It's kind of low key. Jeff, are you? I know you've written songs before. You think of that?
1: Um, well, I, um, I um, when I want to be a singer songwriter. I mean, I, I like you know. Dylan was my god. Paul Simon, another god. Uh, Joni Mitchell um, and um, Richard Thompson. You know, people. uh, I was really into folk music. I like the words, but singer-songwriter. Notice the two components to that career. (laughs) (laughs) The songwriter. I have written. I can. I wrote the album, an album uh, for my book XO. I wrote the lyrics um, in about a week. That I just <laughs> learned that it was not gonna be me. So uh you have a great voice and, and a lot of musical ability too. I could finger up, uh, Merle Travis finger picking that kind of stuff. Sure. But um I uh I just didn't have the didn't have the voice, didn't have the musical quality. And but so I do forth. know that so, uh, if you go on YouTube,
0: I, uh, you'll I find... i am sorry. I did find uh, a video on YouTube of you singing one of the songs from that, uh, very yeah, poorly recorded. See. I'm sorry, but uh, I was going to put it on for you, but I thought no, we won't do that.
1: Oh, hold on, let me see how much have I got here, Roger. Let's see. Come <laughs> on, how much, how much? How much can I give you to, <laughs> to destroy that? Get some BMI money. No, that's <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's, it's amazing what you can find on YouTube these days. Um, uh,
2: Jeff Deaver and John Lesquar are going to sing the opening verse. Um, Right now, let's go to what? Oh, yeah, that part. <laughs> I am just a poor boy. My story is seldom told. All oh, I my resistance. Pocket full of such artisans. Lies and still a man here the rest la, 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 la.
0: Thank you all right
1: you. Without, without a show up on youtube tomorrow without without rehearsal how's that uh, It's pretty amazing yeah. amazing that's interesting a go ahead Paul Simon's calling oh <laughs>
0: Oh, I want my song back. <laughs> Hello,
1: Paul. How are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank
0: you. <laughs> now, it's interesting because you, you chose that verse or that couplet because often I quote, I call it the the Paul Simon syndrome, where a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And we live in these echo chambers where we only listen to people that will agree with us. So it, yeah. it was course that, the, the original fake news song. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, on, on any final thoughts before we wrap up because I know Jeff you've got to go
1: I I do yes no I would simply say to your your viewers you will you will be delighted with with this book it, it I had it was a joy to edit a joy to write the story I think I speak for all the authors uh when I say that I like uh, uh, like them but a lot into what they did these are just top notch stories and I I have to say I'm uh, I've been reading and writing short fiction for 40 years now, and this is just uh, the top of the top. So uh, pick it up and uh, enjoy it.
0: You're here, here. All right. Great to see you, Roger. Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. We'll look forward to talking to you next year when you write that, that story about your folks.
2: Okay. Perfect.
0: Right. Take care. Okay,
2: John.
1: as always a pleasure. Roger, thank you again, and you okay. take care now. Right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.